0: Welcome to another edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Powell. Hello,
1: hello, hello.
0: On tonight's show, we have not one but two films for you as we're going to be looking at two films from Shinya to Sakamoto, as we check out Iron Man, uh, t- sorry, we check out Tetsuo, The Iron Man, as well as its follow up, Tetsuo 2, Body Hammer. Uh, but before we obviously get into that it's uh time to obviously ask what you've been watching and Stephen I mean obviously since the last episode what has been holding your attention
1: well I have actually watched a few things um some which sit firmly within this podcast's uh, remit one which is a bit of a stretch um, and one I'm only part way through so I think I'll do that in reverse order um, So, I think I talked a couple of weeks ago about the Korean Netflix show Kingdom, the sort of Joseon era set zombie drama.
0: Um, Yeah, I've been uh, hearing some good things, especially from the guys over at uh, Asian Cinema Takeout there. very keen on it so yeah so
1: so i really really enjoyed the first season luckily i was a late comer to it so i've only had to wait a few weeks before season two has been released i think i think most other people have had to wait nearly a year um (laughs) so i've just watched i've only watched the first episode there's only six and they're as as often is the case with um netflix they're bizarre lengths some are nearly an hour long whereas others are near a half an hour it's very strange um but yes the Second series starts started up again with more fantastic sort of period Joseon period zombie action um, really well made um, not so much palace intrigue this time but I think that's that's about to come um, yeah just just a really good sort of mix of zombie and period Korean K drama which is sort, of, sort of one of those things I really enjoy and something we haven't really explored the sort of the Joseon period of Korean history but um yeah really really enjoying that um then with this is a this is a slightly um a bit of a stretch um and and we don't really talk about Asian cinema from from the subcontinent um that could be another podcast in itself and you know you and I don't really enjoy three-hour films of dancing in the middle but uh, a british indian filmmaker um who's had some success is asif uh K- oh god now i'm not gonna say his name asif kapadia <laughs> um who yeah. famously uh, he he's, he's made he's made a few um uh sort of live action movies but he's he concentrated on documentaries in the recent past with the really popular senna Telling the story of Ayrton Senna, the Formula One driver, and and basically sort of wrapping it around the day that he died, and Amy, the story of Amy Winehouse, um, and he, he finished off his sort of trilogy of the uh, sort of people who got maybe famous too young and were somewhat genius level in their talent would be his thing. Um, the the documentary on Diego Maradona called Diego Maradona. Um, which doesn't quite match the pattern of, of Senna and Amy, but I think it's because there's another film called Maradona already. <laughs> um, um, not as good as the other two films. Um, I'm I'm a big sportsman, big fan of, of of football as well, so I was really kind of excited by it and the fact that it was Capaldi um, is doing the doing the documentary work was exciting um, for me. It took a very narrow view. Didn't have you know, the, the, the genius of Senna is is that. Even if you know what's going to happen at the end of this day, um, and I did because I remember watching it on TV, it's still a thrilling documentary. With um, and even if you know what happens to Amy Winehouse, it's still tragic when you see what happens to her. With with Maradona, his fall from grace um, is still ongoing, <laughs> and 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 maybe it lacks a little bit of the drama um, and doesn't make quite the points that I'd have liked it to have made. But it's still really good. Some fantastic sort of um, found footage stuff there. So that was really good. And then really on the money of what our um, our podcast is about, Asian cinema, I found a Korean film from last year called No Mercy. Although it also seems to be called Ioni, which means sort of like Big Sister, which seems to be a, a better better idea and it stars one of my favorite actresses who I thought had just disappeared from view which is um Lee C. Young um Lee C. Young so she was in a couple of fantastic films how to use guys with secret tips and killer Tune, and then she's sort of, sort of just not really done an awful lot since a few things um her her unique selling point is that she used to be an amateur boxer and okay. and uh, I mean, she's a very pretty lady and all that, but but she she's got a got a sort of a very physical physical side to her as well. And um, they finally decided to use it to make a, an action film. Um, I guess you'd say it was sort of a female version of Taken. She's a, she's an ex um, bodyguard in this film that's been in prison because she took things too far. And her in in this film her her, her sister, her younger sister, who's who's clearly got some mental issues, undergoes a number of nasty things, and it's just a revenge drama. Um, so basically, pretty pretty Korean lady in a red dress goes around and beats up and kills a lot of people. Um, parts of this film are absolutely excellent. Some of the set pieces are brilliant. Um, uh, Lisa Young is 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 fantastic. However i gotta say although that all the elevator pitch really appealed to me it doesn't really go as far as it should or it's not as interesting as it should be and i kind of lost interest because they kept upping the stakes so much and it just got stupid yeah. and stupider and stupider so um and clearly you know it films like the villainess which came out at a similar time so this is 2019 so the villainess was like the year before i think you know there's these these strong women revenge dramas with a little bit of action to the side obviously is a thing now um so yeah it, it, it's it's fine it's not a not a film i'd bring to the show um but that got me back into watching a little bit of Korean, uh, sort of more modern Korean cinema, which is maybe something I used to do a lot and haven't done for ages. So, yeah, solid, sort of six out of ten, really.
0: Okay. Um, Anything else? To talk? No, that's so-
1: it. I've done it all in a in a Reader's Digest way. <laughs> oh, very good.
0: Um, well, I had some very grand ideas about what I was going to be watching. Uh, this last couple of weeks purely because I'd signed up for the BFI player to so I could watch uh, Tetsuo 2 and I had all these great ideas of what I was going to watch and ultimately ended up watching nothing so that was a complete waste of time of that uh, week's free trial Um, but I did however see Takashi Miike's First Love Um, I watched that with uh, Kim over on Movies and T as part of our After Hours uh, season so you will be getting a, a full review episode of that coming up over there. Uh, but, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed First Love. I think it's really great. Once it gets going, it's a little slow to start, um, but once it gets going and we sort of essentially put these characters on the run, it it really is a fun old time.
1: Hmm. Um, at the same time... <laughs> you obviously enjoyed it far more than I did. <laughs> I, I don't
0: know. It's, as I said, it's... It's so bizarre now, obviously having come up watching Mickey movies since like, you know, around two thousand and two and to now see the Mikkei movies we get now, it's such a it's such a kinda dry difference, um, in the style of films he's making now. And while well, he obviously still gets these you know, occasional whims of his old style in there, such as the guy rubbing cocaine into his bloody bullet wound, uh, or the fact that there's an animated sequence dropped in towards the end for no apparent reason. It's as I said, this is uh, if you were new to McKay's movies, I think this is a really good one to start with. It's, as I said, there's enough fun and random action, and I think it's also refreshing the fact that. It's action scenes that are not just basically trying to imitate the rage, which everyone seems to be on a real kick with at the minute. When you like look at John Wick three, and obviously we've had films such as uh, When the Night- When the Night Comes for us, and it's just this really sort of over the top brutal violence uh, fighting style that everyone seems to be gravitating towards at the moment. And any time they can just use knees and knives and elbows and stuff, it uh, seems to be their thing. So to see a more traditional sort traditionally short action sequences was kind of refreshing, so... Um, but no, you didn't like this one, then, doing. I,
1: right? I... I can't remember if I've talked
0: about this before on the show. Um, you think we talked about the last one, that? and I was that's why I was sure that
1: um, I thought you liked uh, it, but apparently uh, not. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was okay. I thought, um, as you say, some of the action stuff is really good, and there's some crazy characters in there, and in some ways it's... Um, You know, it's it's fairly reminiscent of Miquet in his heyday, you know, dead or alive, things like that. Um, What I thought let it down, and this may be a fault of the marketing, press materials. I reviewed this for In Their Own League, and all the press materials I got sent were saying, oh yeah, we're releasing this on Valentine's Day, it's Miquet, and it's a love story, and, and there's loads of stuff from him saying it's a love story, although I think he'll say anything if you pay him enough and, well, I, and i thought the thing. that aspect of it was yeah. dreadful <laughs> you know the two the two leads barely barely irrelevant to the plot they have no relationship with each other um and actually if i was to be uh if i was trying to sort of read this film what it actually felt more like was mikay's sort of love letter to yakuza and and yakuza films and those sort of Old, old school yakuza and shiny suits and honour and all things and, and there's all the all the new people and the Chinese they they don't have the same honour as a proper yakuza and it kind of made me think of the mole song couple of films that he did which were comedy yakuza films but with with a, a real real amount of charm and humour about them um, and this 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 all yeah almost felt like it was his treatise on why criminals were better back in the day, and they're not to be trusted anymore. <laughs> but the the love angle, the love angle, I did not get at all. Um, but it's you know it's it's not horrible. It's not like I'm trying to think of a really terrible Mike film, and there have been plenty. Um, but I can't think of what I'm talking about. It's not not terrible at all. And if as a as a here's a fairly good film of his, you know that, that'll give you the idea as a starter. Now go and watch *Dead and Alive, Life*, or go or go and watch *Gozu*, or go and watch, um, or even even more modern films. You now, I'd, I'd I'd recommend the two Molesong films because they, they are they are they have that kind of Mike craziness, which is in this film. But there's just too much going on. Nothing seems to come to fruition, and the the lead two characters just are not interesting. One one is a cipher, and one of them is introduced with some interesting ideas that never really go anywhere um but he's also the 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 most interesting thing about the film is that it is i can't remember the guy's name but the screenwriter is the guy who wrote um bird people in china with him which is one of those uh films i don't think it's enough love and credit and um i was kind of hoping maybe for something with a little more heft like bird people in china does or a little more fantasy in it, it and it didn't turn out like that for me um but it's not it's not horrible it's not a, it's not it's not as um a bit of it, I've, i initially thought of it a bit like well this is just like mk's greatest hits this is like the sea on sono forest of love that we watched where it's a show reel but it's not it's not it's not like that at all it's just f- familiar themes and definitely there's, there's a there's a there's a yearning for for a past time but i'm glad you liked it
0: yeah, I mean that first. I mean the first opening, 30, 40 minutes or so, is a little tedious. And as you said already, the two leads—they've kind of got their own interesting stories going on. We've also got the boxer who's been diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor, so he's got this no fear of death, which in turn puts him in a chance encounter with uh, the prostitute working off her father's debt, and the two obviously. Uh, we're supposed to believe are going to have this like whirlwind romance true romance style and it never really plays out like that and Mickey, I love Mickey the fact, himself um, admits that the reason he called the film First
1: Love is because it would make more money so yeah. it's hard to fault his <laughs> honesty what I did what I did love about the film though was Becky um, so Becky is the girl <laughs> that that she's a Caucasian actress that but was born and raised in Japan and 10 yeah. years ago she was in every japanese drama going because you've got this girl that looks caucasian but speaks perfect japanese which is a fantastic thing to cast in a in a tv show when you want to have someone from america or britain come over you just get becky in there and um and and you don't have all that horrible stilted english acting which you'll see in in so many things in japan um she yeah, she was her career was on this upward curve and then she had an affair with a married man and just killed her career stone dead. She's now um and, and, and she's you know, she's had to do the whole public apology thing and she's had to resurrect her career over the last ten years by basically being one of those chat show guests and game show guests, right. you know, and just and just having to do the whole be on your tv all the time and so, on, so on. in this film she's absolutely brilliant she's mental and she's this fantastic crazy character for i don't know for about two-thirds of the movie that that to me was an absolute highlight and and it's really fantastic to see her come back from from really a, a career which was dead and and people in japan yeah. don't come back normally from that kind of thing
0: she plays the crowbar world in Julie. If I remember she is, right, she
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean this again. This is a film where you've got a one armed, tri- one armed triad who a pump action shotgun. You've got um, the old yakuza boss there with his with his samurai sword. You've got, um, as you said, you've got this this sort of. Uh, moment in time where you've got like the Yakuza being pushed out by the triads and the old Yakuza bosses trying to keep control of the young pups who are basically wanting to go run wild and kill everyone. Um and it's as I say, it's just a shame that it never really comes together. I mean the ending I think went on a little about ten minutes too long for myself, but Great. you know, the action scenes, especially during like the chase scene and when we get into the uh hardware store, they're all really fun times, so I mean, it's not like you know Ninja Kids or Fuda, the New Generation. It's not, or uh, even like Shinjuku uh, Shinjuku Triad Society. That level of sort of bad. So I think once you've seen how bad a Miki movie can be, you're kind of a little more forgiving when he he feels like he's at least trying something.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's Miki doing a a, a a money a movie to make some money. He's obviously been. Hate, you know it's one of his work for higher ones it doesn't feel like it's coming from his um from his soul and it's it, it's absolutely fine um, I know I was speaking to a couple of the guys over in Eastern kicks who were who were much more critical of it than I was
0: <laughs> and, but then again they didn't like um ghost in the shell when we first started they they' were all down on that as well yeah
1: so. yeah I mean uh, Anthony really liked it um, but but James James and and uh, andrew were really kind of uh you know that they, they thought it was dreadful and i and it's not dreadful and also they equated it to for love's sake which is one of my favorite mikay films so don't so <laughs> there was there's a schism there but uh, it, it it's fine and and you know i'm sure we'll be very interested to hear what you and you and kim have to say about it in more fulsomes Way. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, it was it was fun doing, obviously, doing a Miike film with Kim, because Kim Moon, unlike ourselves, hasn't watched a lot of M. K. films. So, to see it, someone who's still relatively new to M. K. style and didn't come up with, like, you know, the Outlaw era films, it was really interesting to see, to sort of get that sort of fresh, fresh take on it. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully I've set on the path of finding the good Miike now, so... Because, I mean, she'd obviously seen, like, Audition, but she's not seen, like, Happiness as the Katamoris, uh, or, like, um... Some of the more random video game adaptations he's done, like, uh, or Things like, uh, you know, Yatterman, or, um... Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. So...
1: Oh, that's a film. <sighs> I enjoyed <laughs> I it. Love I love that and film. It's stupid, but I really enjoyed it's it at the just, same time. It's just he has this amazing ability to translate computer game properties. <laughs> that that Ace Attorney is, is a 3DS game. <laughs> or it may even be a DS game. You know, it's, it's... It has no reason that you could translate that to the screen. And not only does he do it, but he does it it you know it keeps its wackiness which is in the games but you know it manages to bring in so much fan service and still lets it remain enjoyable. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, maybe we need to talk about that one day. But <laughs> hard okay. to track down.
0: So there was uh, obviously that was the sort of highlight of uh, of this this little reviewing period. The the low point though was a. Uh, um, was uh, *Mary and the Witch's Flower, uh, which is from Studio Ponoc, who, uh, founded by former Studio Ghibli producer, Yosha... <laughs> this is I'm going to screw up my first of my Japanese names for the evening, so it's going to... Uh, Yoshiaka Nishimura. Um they also brought in the dire- uh, director, uh, Yoni Bayashi, who did um, uh, Secret World of Ariati, which um, made him also the youngest director To do a very actual release of Studio Ghibli And um, he also did These um, When Marnie was there Which earned uh, him an Oscar nod At the 2015 Academy Awards But um, I mean he's not a director Really he sort of jumps out to me As being like a main player When we think of like you know Anime directors And I think it's certainly Not really changed anything here With this sort of debut of Studio Pontiac Which is in many ways, it feels like they're trying to replicate the Ghibli style, but at the same time doing their own. I mean, Mary has already become the studio mascot in the same way that Totoro is for Ghibli. And, I mean, the this, this story itself is charming enough. I mean, young girl discovers these fl- ma- magical flowers called the Fly-By-Night, which gives a witch's powers for one night. And she basically stumbles across uh, the witch's college, which is up in the clouds, and uh, finds herself caught up in this whole plot that is being sort of orchestrated by its uh, headmistress and one of the head teachers there. So, I mean, the story itself is charming enough, but it just didn't really do anything for me. It was kind of the comparison I had was like when you're going like a wimpy. And Although they're giving you the same you know burger and fries combo that you can get at McDonald's There's just something not quite right about it. There's you know There's something missing and it certainly felt like it when I was watching this film As while there's obviously these charming Sequences and it's got the whimsy and it's got flying sequences and whatnot um, There does seem to be something missing and I know a lot of the background data works not as detailed as the Ghibli movie even though we have moments where it goes sort of toe so with the best of the Ghibli stuff when we look at like the dining hall sequence in this film which looks really its a lot of fun there's a lot of detail there but um ultimately it was just a film that I was just not engaged with at all so it was kind of like a uh, kind of like a passing distraction at best so but that's currently doing the rounds on film four if you live here in the UK and want to catch it it's uh it seems to be part of their
1: new rotation so it's I, I, I'm fascinated by your allusion there. Is Wimpy does that even still exist? Yeah, we got a Wimpy. Ah. It's down on uh,
0: down the seafront, and if you on some other way stations still have
1: Wimpy. Yeah. See, see, for, for those for, for members of our audience who are not British, <laughs> <laughs> um, Wim, Wimpy was a very British, or is apparently a very British implementation. Of the uh, American burger restaurant, where back in the day, when I remember them in the eighties, um, you'd sit down and you get a knife and fork. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite the same now. I guess the equivalent stateside would be like Wendy's or something like that. Sort of,
0: it's it's hard to say what the equivalent is because they've got they their, their they got their chain ones, which you know they're kind of like on the Burger King level of things. Mm-hmm. Um, other Burger King recently has got the same sort of feeling As a, as a Wendy's <laughs> the, it, You go in there and like the atmosphere Seems to be like removed from the place It's, there's just something not quite right And yeah, it's It's like if you go in like a You know, like a knock off Burger joint oh. place like um you go into like Texas Fried Chicken instead of KFC or something, for example, and you just know that while they're essentially doing the same thing, it's not—it's not the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> everything's got that air of cheapness to it. I'm
1: very excited though that there is a wimpy that exists because I haven't seen one for years. You won't be once you been there. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> no, no, it'll—it'll it'll be like tra- time traveling. I'm sure you don't sit down with a knife and fork like you used to. Didn't they used to have a? They used to have a. They used to have a sausage burger with a square sausage as well, which always fascinated me as a child. <laughs> but. Um... <laughs> It was like a Cumberland sausage, you know, like a circular, not like circular sausages, but it was done in a square. Uh, no, anyway, sorry, get... we've really gone off.
0: <laughs> you get tea in a
1: polystyrene cup. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> not even like a china cup, you get a polystyrene cup with your burger, it's so depressing. Oh,
1: dear, yeah, it's very, it feels very sort of, uh, yeah, it feels very into the pier, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, that's where it is. <laughs> I know we're better luck. Maybe a fall in. <laughs> see,
0: see you next time. We have a decent storm. So. Oh, fantastic. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I mean, did you catch it when it's been shown? No, like I
1: wouldn't have even known it was on. Again, um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah um, again, you know, I, I, I know, I know Majibli but but other other animations. I'd, I, it's the sort of thing that I might accidentally catch and end up watching, but I wouldn't yeah. actually plan to watch. Okay. So
0: yeah, I I mean I had really high hopes for it. It looked so charming, and then I watched it. and I was like, oh, this is feels like I missed something. And I think it's the fact that they have a cat and it doesn't talk. Like when she has a ma- when she gains her magical ability, the cat doesn't like suddenly start talking, which I was expecting. So maybe like uh,
1: Kiki's Delivery mm. Service so set my expectations too high for that one. So and a couple of other films as well in the in the Ghibli, um Stable have talking cats but yes yeah okay
0: well that's
1: a shame but
0: in other exciting news Crunchyroll finally decided to add One Piece uh, for the UK fans so you can now check that out all 1000 plus episodes with Luffy D Monkey and the crew so good luck working your way through that 1000 episodes
1: I know it's still being made so when I was last in Hong Kong I went to a there was a there was this sort of museum thing on and it was it was basically a one piece display. Yeah. I had no I had no idea what any of it was about until later and I thought, Oh my god. <laughs> I bet there's people who are really excited by this and I just went around thinking I do not know what any of this is <laughs> But it was always like these life size cutouts and dioramas of scenes from this anime so that's all I know about One Piece. I also know with a thousand episodes, I'm never going to even start.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a pirate anime, but at the same time, it's got uh, people with fantastical powers. Because um, it's set in this this ocean world where all these pirates are trying to find the the one piece uh, that will lead them to the mythical treasure of this pirate king. Oh, so, um, and all the captain as i said the you can eat the yum yum fruit and it gives you magical abilities but at the same time it means that you can't swim which is obviously a little well, not so handy in, uh if you live in a a planet mainly consisting of water so hmm. so with Luffy d um monkey he's got uh, the elastic ability so he can stretch his limbs and he can he's essentially bulletproof and um as i said there's other wonderful weird powers that uh you discover through. It's actually it's a really fun light anime. So at the moment I'm sort of a little tied up watching Full Male Brotherhood at the minute, so I'm not exactly in a rush to sort of working into my rotation at the minute, so but it's there finally. So we obviously had the arrow sale, so I am now the proud owner finally of the Female Prisoner Scorpion box set, so Steve can stop bugging me about Woo-hoo! that. <laughs> So, If you go on any of our social media, we're on Facebook, um, and we're on Twitter, at AC Film Club, and on Instagram, you can check that out, as well as the other fun
1: bits and pieces we post up on there.
0: So, should we go with our... Well, let's, uh,
1: let's, let's dive into Mr. Chikomoto, shall we? As as we've waited nearly 50-ish episodes to do so. <laughs>
0: Okay, so tonight, um, as we said we're at the start of the uh, show, we're doing a double build tonight as we're looking at Tetsuo the Iron Man, as well as uh, Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer. Um, both these films very influential in terms of not only court cinema, but also in terms of uh, cyberpunk cinema and also how they the part they played in the sort of Asian cinema revival because although Tetsuo was released in 1989 and had already a large sort of cult following it made up a significant played a significant part in the sort of T- Tartan Asia Extreme range which really was sort of responsible for boosting that uh, revival of interest there and I think that when it came to you know Tetsuo it's one of those films that's never lost its Power or appeal uh, since it came out, and though I think that be due to the to, because of that extent, then the fact it's so well discussed that I also wanted to include Tetsuo Two Body Hammer, it's nineteen ninety two sequel into the discussion just purely because it always feels that it's very overlooked, um, and I never understood why because in many ways it was kind of very similar to Evil Dead 2, uh, in what, sorry, in what Evil Dead 2 is to Evil Dead 1, in the fact that it's essentially a more bigger budget remake of the original film. I mean, the, obviously, the original Tetsuro The Iron Man, released in 1989, this is marked the feature-length debut for Shinya Sukamoto, whose parents at this point have pretty much had it with, uh, their son's aspirations of being a filmmaker. And I really want to just take a, a quote, really, from Tom Mez's book, um, Iron Man, the Shinra to so- Sakamoto, which I have to say is a really essential tome if you're interested in the films of Sakamoto. We were hoping to have Tom on the show tonight, but unfortunately the timings didn't work out, and if uh, you've been following his uh, his Twitter feed, he put out a really nice apology. So we're sorry you can be on, Tom, but uh, hopefully... We'll get you uh, back on soon for something uh, in the near future. Um, but basically he was quoted, he got a quote uh, from Sakamoto's uh, father. It, it basically said there are two types of human beings, those who are successful and those who fail. And you are a failure so you shouldn't make this film. These are the encouraging words that she just uh, took into his production go, for go. Sort of The Iron Man. <laughs> <as> basic... <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's really good to know that your parents are back in your dreams to go out and make this film. And let's face it, I mean, here we have a film where an everyday salaryman runs into a metal fetishist who infects him with a disease which soon causes his flesh to turn into steel and in turn leads to a whole range of fun body horror antics. Uh, so, I mean, we'll just start, start talking just with the first film, really. I mean, did, what was your sort of background with these films yeah. coming into it, And Do you see so, them before? So, so, so I've, I've seen is them both. First before, time watches? The,
1: the first film I've seen many times. Okay. The second film I had on VHS back in, I want to say, 91, <laughs> 92. Um, uh, Tartan release. that must have been when I was yeah. at university. I must have picked it up, um, which must really equate to my initial dabblings with Asian cinema as a thing. But I think it was more because I was into cult cinema. If that makes sense, I, I hadn't, I hadn't quite oh, I settled. on on, on Asian cinema as as The Love and I was I was very much into into weird weird there was there was another range of um VHS called Redemption. I can't remember who it was from, but they would have like just Franco nun exploitation films and things like that. And I kind of picked this up as, as part of the same, or I picked the second film up as part of that. That's oh, there's there's a weird film here called 2 Body Hammer, and it was weird shit. <laughs> but I and so I got I saw that first and saw the um, the Iron Man later on, and you know there's nothing quite like the first film. <laughs> I mean you can you you can equate it to <clears> David Lynch's Eraserhead because it's in black and white and there's some weird shit going on. You can equate it to yep. those early films of Cronenberg because of the the sort of the body horror side of things. Um but it's always made me more think of a, like a 9-inch nails video or something like that. It's got this real industrial soundtrack and a real kind of the, the visuals, the, the black and white works fantastically in that first film, you know, and, and the, and the, and the metal and the electronics is all very, it's in some ways it's a little bit blue Peter, but in some, way, in some ways it's, it's really, it's both metallic and organic. And it's just like this really stunning piece of visual and oral art. Um, but at the same time it's a real tough watch isn't it <laughs> it's I
0: mean it's I totally agree with yourself here I mean I came to this film much like yourself did because I was in that period where you just want to watch weird and shocking cinema and I was watching things you know as I said like a Eraserhead and um, a lot of Greg Araki movies and and um things like, you know, kids and bully uh, freaks and uh, it was just and, you know, you watch things like uh, John Waters' Pink Flamingos and it's just this idea of like, I'm watching stuff just to see how far I can push myself. It's like, I want to find just like, most messed up and weird stuff that I can watch and Just like for some reason, Tetsuo just sort of stumbled into that, and I remember seeing it. It wasn't, I didn't pick it up on VHS or anything, but I got it. um, I saw the first film on a late night showing on Channel 4, and Tetsuo 2, I saw actually before the first one uh, because I think that was part of the movie drone. Um, showing and that there wasn't, unfortunately, with the introduction from Alex Cox, it was his um, Mark your friend who uh, who took over from it's not uh, my Irish guy, it's not my Mark friend. Cousins. Who, anyway, let's not oh, go my there. <laughs> 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 Mark, Mark Cousins, he, whose idea of film criticism is to describe what's on the screen. <laughs> um but yes, as you said, this has got a real sort of DIY filmmaking style to it. Um, the fact that this film looks like it was... It, it cost a lot more than it actually did is a real sort of credit to uh, Tsukamoto and his just inventiveness as a, a director. We also have to like give credit to the fact that um, Ki Fujiwara um, who plays the girlfriend of this uh salaryman um her and her husband basically put up the whole production for a year because the, the whole film was shot in their house and you know they gave permission for like holes to be drilled through and the floor to be drilled through and basically put up with this uh, production and the whole crew were basically living on top of each other for the year's production so suzokamoto said that you know he would constantly find that through the demands of filmmaking that he would like come in one day and find that the sound crew had disappeared so he would take over doing sound and then the special effects people would disappear and he would take over doing that so he was constantly teaching himself how to do different bits and pieces like the stop motion he taught himself how to do the actual suit that makes up the salaryman skin Is it goes on and becomes more sort of metal and metallic originally it was uh, sort of like double sided sticky taped onto uh, tomorrow uh, tagachi's skin so it was just all sellotaped on um, so we ended up with like skin like sandpaper by the end of filming and eventually they hit on the idea that if we just put it on top of a boiler suit then he can just slip it on and off and we don't have to like spend mm. hours sellotaping metal yeah, onto the, our friend the, the, the every day the other person so. that-
1: um, it reminds me of you. You just reminded me about all the stop motion stuff, and, and how did I forget that? But um, it's very much like, and again, this is somebody I was into at the time, um, Jan Svankmajer, the Czech surrealist, um, who's made films like Alice and Little Otic and Faust. Um, it, it, it very much feels yeah. like it's in that, probably more that than you know. It, it's saying the David Lynch comparison is a bit of an easy one, isn't it? and I'm not sure it actually stands up whereas the the Cronenberg and Svankmeier uh c- connections feel much stronger to me um I don't know if he was necessarily influenced by by them directly but it's definitely in sort of that zeitgeist isn't it that 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 time of experimental filmmaking and you know this thing took him 18 months uh, he near, he fell out with everybody <laughs> um I think only only um <laughs> Tomorrow, Toguchi didn't live on set all the time, um, and he made quite a big point saying, "If I did, I don't think I'd have stayed." <laughs> um, it, it's it's just this really fantastic. You know, you want I want to use words like organic, but of course, the whole point of the film is it's not. You know, it's it's about it's about this rejection of. Or, or what uh, Sukamoto saw was happening in Tokyo. You know, all the green spaces were disappearing, getting replaced by skyscrapers, and there were cars everywhere. And uh, it, although it doesn't, it doesn't actually make a huge play for that, it, but it does sort of say the future is metal. And um, and 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 it's and the, the the you know some bits of it are quite horrific, and some bits of it are quite sci-fi. And then other bits feel like they're out of some crazy anime, and it's just, it just like if you, it's almost as if I've got one chance to make this film, and after what his dad said, probably did. <laughs> um, I'm just going to leave it all out there in 67 <laughs> minutes, um, and, and oh yeah, and th- let's not forget. Unlike you know, unlike many Japanese films, there's there's sex, and there's rotating gigantic penis drills, and. Um, yeah, and and, and and characters who I don't think is a sympathetic character in the film. <laughs> it's just it, it it's horrible, but it's gloriously horrible.
0: Yeah, I mean, you uh, let's not get too excited here. Yes, we are, there is sex here, but this is a world of grime and dirt and filth. And these aren't, like, erotic images that we're having. It's a very sort of, like, sweaty, dirty sort of sex that uh, you see here. And this is all leads into, as you mentioned already, the much-talked-about giant penis drill that he actually drills through a, a door with, which is one of the more memorable sequences of the film. But we open, I mean, obviously with the metal fetishist played here by Tsukamoto himself, who is... Shoving bits of scrap metal under his skin, and basically uh, finds that one of his wounds covered with maggots, which sort of causes him to go in this panic and gets hit by the Sullivan man's car, and in turn triggers this whole chaotic sequence, which uh, which follows. But I just love that this film is got. It's got those sort of surreal sequences, which obviously get the Lynch you've got the Cronenberg body horror to it, and. Again, it's all shot in black and white, with the same sort of grime and surrealness that we saw with Eraserhead, uh, which is, I think, why people constantly compare him to Lynch in many ways. And certainly he's a director who's got his fans. I mean, Tarantino's a huge fan, Sue Hawke, William Gibson, and the Wachowski brothers, or the Wachowskis, um have both cited that they were heavily influenced by the film. I mean Tarantino at one point wanted to bring him over to America to do the third film um, and they were in talks with Tim Roth to take on the lead role but uh, sadly it never came to any fruition so but I don't know what would a slash tarantino production work cuz very
1: I, I wildly so. different uh, I think, forces um, to each other. I think seeing where you know the sort of things he's he's gone on to. I mean these the, the, the these films are fairly atypical to the rest of his work. I haven't I haven't seen the third film Bullet Man um is that what it's called? Yeah, I I I I haven't seen that one. I've seen these two but you yeah. know <laughs> He he has he has certain interests which you know you can draw some of the themes from these two films out, um, but he's you know me- mental breakdown being I'd suggest the the key one and and maybe strange fetishes along the way um, or strange obsessions shall we say, but no I don't I don't see him as a as a as a nice fit with uh, Mr Tarantino at all and I don't see him working within system either I, th- I think he's um i mean he's a bit of an odd one for um for japanese cinemas <laughs> i don't really see him going anywhere else the one thing i would say is though even in this um his 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 inspirations are actually sort of quite a lot more traditional as well there's um the, the sort of the close shot the, the way he frames faces and things like that it's very kurosawa like um and I was sort of just doing some reading up for this show. And you know, he says, oh, yeah, my, my inspirations are Curacao. And I absolutely saw that. I could absolutely see sort of thrown a blood in there when um, when a lot of the talking was going on and a lot of those sort of tight close-up on faces and things like that. So he's, you know, what have said, he's he's come from this experimental film background. You can see absolutely he's a he's a student of cinema, which then might make him, a little more um, compatible with Mr. Tarantino, so I don't know.
0: Tarantino's certainly a Kurosawa fan. Um, I mean, look at his list of um, influences here. He's obviously got sites like Scorsese, Ridley Scott, um, Shoei Imara, who was uh, part of the Japanese New Wave. I've not seen anything by him at all. Uh, though I know he did uh, work through the cats oh, so.
1: No, so yeah well, so so okay so he's um insect woman and uh, the pornographers I've seen uh, the eel at the, right at the end of his career which um was was quite popular so so yeah I can I I can I can so certainly the insect woman um I can absolutely see where he's where he's drawing that inspiration from yeah he's he's, he's a film student isn't he and um this 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 does feel a bit like a really well-made student film, <laughs> um, but mostly because you know it's okay. on 16 millimeter film. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's not a to video thing. It's you know it's I think I think and, and he tried before. The, yeah. the, the I think on the Blu-ray I've got, which has got both films, and I think it also may have some of his earlier works on it as well.
0: Yeah, so he did two films before this one, but this was sort of like his first feature one, and he'd originally. It, 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 I mean, Thomas goes into the fact that obviously with this, with what he chose to shoot it on being, um, and and the fact that he had to aim for, aim for a certain length to get it that's shown theatrical. So this one was his first one, made with the idea of having a theatrical screening for it. Um, so it's certainly at this point his career, he's sort of like taking his work more seriously as a director and really sort of trying to make it himself out there um, it could also be sighted I mean we look at this film and it's obviously like one of those independent productions you know it's like retro Dogs and stuff that inspire so many people to go you know what <laughs> screw film school I'm going to go out there and charge a whole bunch of money on my parents credit cards and I'm going to make my movie because Kevin Smith did it and Tarantino <laughs> did it and to Sakamoto Delet and stuff, and they end up with just, like, a really expensive
1: pile of garbage, <laughs> because they've not... And and, like, and, and this film, let's not, mistakes, that's not so. pretend otherwise, it was a flop to start with, Um, it but it it's it got picked oh, up. Yeah. It got one particular film festival got picked up in, and then sort of the word of mouth got round, and, you know, I don't know if it ever made any money, but it certainly got his... It got his name... At, known and I guess I guess gave him that step up. But that's a it's a high risk stratagem, isn't it? But I guess I guess I guess if his dad's telling him stop doing Definitely. this <laughs> this is probably his last last try. And he comes on so all the people that he made the film with, you know, he's part of some sort of experimental theatre group. So these these people um were very much part of his Uh, What's the word like? Like his gang, Um, that that they make it together. It 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 is. Yeah, it's like um, um, trouble. So, which is kind of interesting because you don't. I don't. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't hear many stories like this about Japanese film. You know, you you hear mostly about people stepping into maybe the director video stuff like Miki did or getting your step up because you started making pink films. And it's funny. You should say about the, the length of the film. So it's like 66, 67 minutes. That's absolutely the length of a pink film. So it can get put on at the cinema. Yeah. So it can get a theatrical yeah. release. Um, in fact, it's also got a sex scene every few minutes, and it actually obeys some of the rules of the pink film. But like, <laughs> like, like you say, this is not a sexy film. This is, a, this is, a, this is a very no opposite of sexy film.
0: it's it's funny as well the fact it is only 60 minutes because when you watch it you think wow this is really <laughs> how long has this been going on for because it's such a assault on the senses what you're seeing because it's so unlike anything else it's completely mm. balls to the wall weird um, and this is before we even get into what happens in, in Body Hammer because that sort of cranks it up another notch um, but this one you're seeing things and you don't know how to respond to it because um, it's like when you watch like Akira the first time, you see that that meltdown sequence at the end, and it's like there's that familiarity mm. to it, but at the same time, it's so weird. And you know that if you tried to show this to and, someone else, and, they just and, wouldn't and, talk to anymore. you anymore. Know, it,
1: it, it is. It's just over just over an hour long, but there isn't a moment of fat in it, is there? I mean, it just it's an assault on the senses, and it just goes bang, 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 bang. You know, one one minute you don't know what's going on. And then, mm. and then there's this woman with a crazy hand going after him. And then there's the stuff in the apartment with g- giant metal cocks and people getting drilled in half with them. And then you have the battle, but then there's this sort of kind of speed skating stuff with jet boots flying around the streets of Tokyo. And, and, and then, and then, the, yes, let's, let's not spoil it, but you know, there's so much going on in this film. This is not a, This is not your indie film, which is sitting there, with people navel gazing, is it? This is. <laughs> this is this is bolster the wall stuff. No. Um,
0: it's. I mean, it's also a film. It took me a couple of times watching it to really get it, because the first couple of times I watched, I watched it, and then I thought, wow, that was just so weird, and then just like forgot about, it. and then it came through. Again on the cycle, and I watched it again. It was like,
1: oh, you know, so we'll get a little bit more. And then I return to it sort of years later, and yeah, because really there, there. there is a story in there. There is a tight narrative that, you know, things that you don't know what they mean to start with become clear later on. So you know, the the the, the reason for the weird, the sort, of, sort of some dogging sex going on at one point, and you think, well, what was that all about? And then then it plays out, and everything comes together, and even what. Sakamoto's so own characters doing with that metal rod at the beginning actually plays back to the past of one of the characters. You know, this is this, this is this is tight, well trimmed stuff. But I I I like you. I reckon it took me three watches before I got a clue what was going on. Yeah,
0: I mean, just to backtrack as well slightly, where you were talking obviously about the fact that when it comes to like American independence, they're doing the uh, the credit card funding thing um and so obviously in japanese cinema we don't see these sort of indie diy productions themselves and i think it as you think you touched on already is the fact that with japan they have this more strict dtv market that uh we never had and it's kind of the same way that when roger Coleman was at the height of his producing power with the new world pictures and he was just like taking all these directors who would go on to become, like, influential directors and basically just give them a script and budget and say, go out and shoot things. And it was only once that era sort of ended that we saw, like, the rise of the American independent scene uh, coming through until, like, the 80s, with, like, things such as, sight like, sex lies and videotapes. So, um, I think it's just the way that the market set up that we don't see so many of these, but it's just sort of adds, adds the real myth off of, of who Sugamoto is, the fact that he is out there. He's an independent... Japanese filmmaker and the fact that here he is creating Japanese cyberpunk which in turn is drawing many elements from like American cyberpunk and yet it's seen by Western audiences and they go and create their movie based on what they're seeing in his film. So we have things like um, Automatons from 2006, Computer Hearts from 2015, which even includes a quote from uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. And we have like Dandy Dust and Ultra Toxic. And these aren't particularly great movies, but, you know, there's... It's that cross-pollination again, the same way that we saw with like Kurosawa was influenced by John Ford and who... Kurosawa then went on to influence um, Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas, so mm. it's always fun when you see the cross-pollination and and how it works and what it leads to. So, um, unfortunately, <laughs> in this case just really bad <laughs> imitation cy- cyberpunk. So, but I'm saying this, and there's probably like some some guy somewhere going, well, "Oh, how dangerous the Western movies!" So just
1: insult away. <laughs>
0: These are not good films. It's kind of like when Eli Roth attempts to recreate the Italian cannibal movies. So, yeah. No, I, I, you know, just I, I really,
1: really, really really like Iron Man. I think it's just a fantastic piece of cinema, and you know, I really recommend it. But be aware, it's a tough watch, and. You may need to dive back in again. I really'd love to see it at the cinema on the big screen. Um with with the with the with the soundtrack blaring in my ears and fit hearing all that metal scraping and stuff like that. But uh yeah, really, really highly recommend that film.
0: Um yeah, I mean the soundtrack itself, um he he basically gave the he approached her to uh to Iskawa, who is um, another person who's constantly been part of that, uh, the, you know, the Tsukamoto camp, and basically said, I want you to make music uh, using metal. And he went away and he was like, Well, I don't know if I can make a whole soundtrack just, you know, banging metal together. So I'd make music that sounds like metal, and uh, that's why we have this this Nine Inch Nails style experimental soundtrack to it and yeah I mean he's constantly re- returned time and time again to do soundtracks uh, for Tsukamoto he's done a couple as well for uh, Miki as well We did Food of the New Generation uh, Dead of Life 2 The Birds um, he did Vital as well as the uh, two Nightmare Detective movies so uh, if you like Tsukamoto's uh, soundtracks then you can all say uh, thank you to Ishikawa for those ones so but um, he also founded the industrial music group's... There go. <laughs> I,
1: which go. I I, I I I It means something to industry, somebody, I'm sure. So I think that's maybe another reason why it appealed to me, especially at that time when I would have first seen this film. So, yeah. Yeah? Well, I mean, what I'm, I did, want I'm fairly your... boring in that regard. I mean, I just adore Nine Inch Nails, always have... Um, Seen him live a few times, and obviously yeah. Trent Reznor, of course, has now moved into film soundtracking and TV show soundtracking. So there you go. There's a there's a circle completed, isn't there? <laughs> cool. Um, so in
0: 1992, he's given the opportunity to direct a sequel to to um, his original film and. The main appeal for Ted, uh, to Sugamoto was the fact that American films would constantly have sequels where Japanese films didn't. Um, so he thought it was really great the fact that he would get the opportunity to make a sequel to his original film. Uh, in between this, he did go off and make um, a film which I'm just going to screw up the. Hi- Hiroko the name Goblin? Here. Yeah, he went and made uh, Hiroko the Goblin. Which is uh, another body. I horror. haven't,
1: but it's a work for hire, isn't Have it? Have you seen It's a. Uh, uh, as far as I know, it's just a fairly standard Japanese horror movie that, that, that he was paid to make. Probably paid some of that, his credit card bills off. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> Pay to replace that door.
0: Um. But yeah, I mean, here he is returning. He's got a little bit of experience behind himself as a director. He's got a bigger budget. I mean, this time he's upgrading his film stock to 32 millimeter, and we also see the first instant of him shooting the cityscapes and just generally shooting with a blue tint that we would also see in *A Snake of Doom*. And he, here again he's touching on many of the themes that he's addressing in the first film, this industrialization of Japan, um, as you said already, Stephen, the, the disappearance of the green areas. And while this film is a sequel, it's very much so more a sort of sequel in name only as the film very much stands on its own, um even though in many ways that it it kind of taps into Things that we see in the first one As we have a Again we have a salary man who Is who uh, Whose uh, son Initially gets kidnapped by two skinheads Who Inject him in the process um, Which causes him To suddenly develop These uh, Tetsuo qualities um, Initially he thinks that he's just getting stronger i mean the fact that he shows him at the gym and he's lifting weights and then suddenly he's able to pump large amounts of weights and he becomes a lot his strength improves and his speed improves and um he, he sort of has that sort of like spider-man initial sort of like oh i've got these amazing abilities all of a sudden um however what this does uh, lead him to is to sets him on a collision path with uh a gang of metal-worshipping fetishists, um, whose leader likes to bath in in oil for no apparent reason, who have been trying to carry out their own series of experiments to capture the uh, the power and ability of the the Tetsuo. Um, so the idea of being able to transform your body into a weapon through sheer rage, um, and uh, this is really where the film just goes off in some really weird directions, to say the least. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't really like this film. <laughs> no, I... Um, don't you? Oh, OK. Like I say, I mean, I have, a, I have a longer history with it. It's definitely the one I saw first, definitely owned it on VHS, definitely was interested in it because of the sort of films I was interested in. Rewatching it the other day for this... I was bored, rigid compared to compared to how the first film makes me feel. The first film makes me feel dirty and disgusting, and yeah. but also thrilled. You know, it, I, I go through a full gamut of emotions. This film feels like it was made by somebody else. I, I don't know why. The blue tints to everything you bought it just looks like you know, it just looks so nineties with 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 skinheads <laughs> and. The, that that blue tin and the and the Dutch camera angles and it uh, yeah, it, it it's it just does not get you know it just doesn't have the same doesn't grab me by the balls like the first film does you know there's some interesting stuff going on because this time the salary man has got a wife and a kid and um and so it's not that weird dynamic of the man and his girlfriend from before which looked pretty. Grimy, <laughs> without without all the other shit going down, um, you know. This is this this, this is having a, this is having a look at the the, the, the standard Japanese family unit: uh, a, a salaryman, housewife, one one child. This this seems to be a fairly common thing. But then, mad scientists and loads of skinheads, and I really don't know what the frigging point of any of them was. And it just doesn't feel as doesn't feel as tight and as desperate as the first film um you know there's bits of bits of smartness in there, you know I didn't expect the little boy's arms to get ripped off, and I didn't expect some of the later madness to happen, but i'm not I never felt as engaged with it as I did with Iron Man,
0: yeah, I mean this film is certainly a lot more aggressive, a lot more violent than the original Tetsuo. Um, here, Tsukamoto, as you mentioned already, um, returns to do some more acting as he plays the main villain of the piece, uh, Yatsu, also known as the guy who likes taking those oil baths and has the ability to turn his body into a weapon where uh, lead uh, salary man uh, Taniguchi, is basically responding to the rage he feels. So, in this film, it's less about the body being consumed by by metal, but in just the fact that your body turns into um, a living weapon. So he has like gun bowels coming out of his chest during that. Uh, also, memorable sequence where he's forced to, where well, they basically tap into his memories and force him to relive uh, trauma to try and bring out the rage within inside him. It's a very hard film to sort of really get behind because first of all a lot of the time you're not sure what's supposed to be going on um, Second we have uh, Death of a Child by our so-called hero whose rage causes him to bullet- shoot his son who's being held up by the skinhead causing him to explode into just basically two bloody hand stumps um, It did, ca- it did come, come from nowhere Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, And that's also in the early moments of the film as well. This isn't like halfway through the film and stuff so it's a a little weird on that and then we get, things get weirder still as we find out the secret history of this salaryman and uh, the source of his, his actual power. But at the same time, I mean, I like the fact that you've got the skinhead gang in this and it gave it some sort of purpose rather than, oh, I've got this horrible thing happening to me and I'm just going to have this, like, long 60-minute freak out of what's happening to me as I try and make sense of it all, which the first one essentially was. Um, This one, it feels kind of like when you watch um, Violence Voyager and the fact that you're seeing someone try and create a sort of superhero persona, but just in, like, a very twisted and trauma-esque way, um, sort of way of styling it. Because when you look at the... The, look at the, uh, the Tetsu or the Iron God form that he takes on here, It's nothing about it is particularly appealing, and it's just all sort of jagged edges and everything being pushed to this melding of flesh and steel. So it's, it works in very sort of extremes. It reminds
1: sort of me throughout. of... Oh my God, it's so 90s. It, but it reminds me of British... Comics at the time. I'm thinking of like what 2000 AD was like during that time. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of deadlines oh, yeah. at the yeah. Jamie Howlett. Is that his name? Guys, part of gorillas now. Um, yeah, de- deadline. That it. It, it feels yeah. like that. the sort of post post apocalyptic, but near. You know, own, own, You know, like set tomorrow rather than in the far future. The skinheads, the the dress, the destruction of the family unit that's that's what if yeah it felt almost more like a british film than it did or a british comic book than it did a japanese thing which was really odd um and it's not so i don't i don't necessarily dislike any of that it's it's just comparing it to what went before for me um, I can see, you know, I, I can see how this yeah, is, is an entertaining romp, isn't it? And it's got certainly got lots of memorable stuff going on. But it doesn't feel there's something about it. Don't feel right, and I and, and I have a hard time find expressing what that is. But yes, if you, if you if you if you if you go back and look at sort of the '90s era of 2018 of Deadline Toxic, those kind of British sci-fi stuff. That 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 that's what it feels like more than something Japanese and um, anime or, or manga-based.
0: Yeah, I'd certainly, it's definitely got those anime qualities of of like the the late eighties and the nineties, especially the cyberpunk stuff and the fact that everything's just like masses of cables and steel. So, nothing's particularly clean cut or neat. everything has got that sort of fusing of like um, technology and and flash to it. So nothing looks particularly neat or clean cut. It's all sort of just spirals into uh, the one one sort of crashes into the other. Um, I can definitely see that Jimmy Hewlett sort of look to it as well. it's and it's it's weird as because he seems to be trying to create that sort of superhero ego we have. Obviously, the demented expression of uh, Tomorrow Gucci pulls when he goes into like full-on Iron God mode, um, and we see him like doing the car chase sequence where he's using his rocket boots to, to sort of like roll the blade across the side of the building, which was pretty fun. And it we we have like the big showdown with the villain, and it just gets weird for like
1: a good twenty minutes. It just goes really weird and just ends. Yeah, randomly. I I, I, I got to admit, it bored me. It, 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 it's probably I mean, it's not it's yeah. not even an hour and a half is it it's, it's only it's, another, it's only 15 minutes longer than the first film <laughs> but i was i i i got bored and it just went on and on and then it turned out he'd had all the powers all along and and what you know the, the i i didn't know I think this is my point. I don't know what the, I I can't work out what the theme is, what what he's trying to talk about. And and maybe if I'd done a bit of background reading or something like that I'd be able to draw some themes and ideas out, but this just feels like a 90s sci-fi action film, possibly similar to those films you were describing earlier. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's um
0: it's so difficult I mean this is the thing I was so on top of what was happening in the film it's all like yeah we got the we got the Skinnerheads here and you know they want to be like super tough and they turn their bodies into weapons and their rage allows them to do this and we see them there working out in the, the mm. smelting yard because that was of course like the hit place to be if you're going to be a cyberpunk uh, thug that's where you're going to hang out but yeah it just sort of like goes goes downhill it's so all like we have the vanquish of the villain and then it just goes into this weird backstory where as you said already I mean spoiler alert it turns out he has the power all along it's nothing to do with what the skinheads did to him um cause we see him fl- sort of flashback and his father was teaching his sons to sort of tap into this ability before they ultimately turned on him um and then it just gets really weird as he becomes like a weird flesh digger thing at the end so i don't know it, it, it's i think it's one of those films that i'll return to just because i'll forget what it was like um and i've got oh i haven't seen Tetsuo two in a while I'll give that another watch but it's not like Tetsuo one where i can see myself like intentionally sitting down to look at it and then, yes there are some really interesting moments in it such as like when he's um being experimented on and, he, and we see the gun mm. The chest barrels uh, come out and take out all the cameras. That's a really cool scene, as you see them all sort of flick off. Um, But at the same time, it's just so weird. At the end, I wasn't sure. It just kind of lost
1: me, and just the fact that it felt just like intensely weird, (laughs) too too much like I think. Um, Um, the way I put it is, is if if I wanted to show these to somebody, if I wanted to say, right, I've got a film that's going to blow your mind. This is what I'm into. but i can only, only got time for one of them i would go for iron man every time yeah i i just think it i just think it's got a tightness yeah. and, a, and a and a and a clarity of vision you know what what it's trying to talk about or at least what it's trying to show whereas this just feels like and this is just a crazy japanese film <laughs> as opposed to this is a this is a crazy <laughs> film i'd if I, 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 yeah, no, I, that's, that's what I think I don't. I don't think I would go out of my way to show anybody it. Which is strange because it is the one that I started with. So obviously it did back in the day. Kindle some kind of you know, spark. Spark some kind of interest in me. So maybe maybe it just hasn't held up so well over the last oh my god thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's surprising, isn't it, when you
0: look back at these films and you realise, oh, well, that is 30 yeah. years. Yeah, clueless. It's 30 years old.
1: Yeah, that that that's a so. worry in of itself. <laughs>
0: um, I mean, have you seen much else of uh, Tsukamoto? as he sort
1: of He's of not somebody I've followed with any great. Um, he, he's, he's not a director I, I, I necessarily follow. I've, se- I've seen other of his films. Um, um, a S- a Snake of June. Um, and of course a film I keep talking about time and again. Um, uh, Kotoko. Um, which I just think is a, a, an amazing piece of work. Um, but he's not someone... I, I know he's one of those names in, in sort of cult Japanese cinema you know, along with Sono, along with Miki, you know, pe- people, you know, people will have expected us to talk about Sakamoto a long time before we got here. Um, but for me, he doesn't. I, I don't think he. Well, twice, in two films of his, Iron Man, and Kotoko, absolutely resonate with me. The other films, I've, I've, I've seen others. And, but they just don't um, don't stick with me like those two have. How about you? I've seen bits and pieces of him. Matt. The
0: problem I have with Sucker is the fact I find myself one of those directors I have to like mentally prepare myself with, much like David Lynch, in the fact that I know it's going to be weird and I'm going to see it's going to require a lot more effort than other directors. To, to sort, of th- to sort of stick with it and figure out what's going on so I mean I've seen Light like Snake of June which I think's really good but it's a really difficult one to show anyone because it's got those sexy undertones to it Bullet Ballet I saw a long time ago and I remember that also being uh, being good and I've also seen heard a lot of people like the guys over at French Tour so Sunday like Mark and that talk about Bullet Ballet recently so I think that's slowly getting a bit of a cult cool following to it and I've seen um, right. his remake of Fires on the Plane as well which I was curious to see because I'd obviously seen the original film by Kon uh, uh, Ichikawa from 1959. So that was an interesting film to, f- choice for him to remake, and it's really sort of bringing full circle his uh, his love of strong women that we sort of start start to see from his next film, like Tokyo Fist. Uh, we start seeing these sort of strong women who uh, left there to be sort of damsels and instead just be their own their own women, which is uh, really interesting to see in this work as well and we see obviously the snake of june we obviously follow our lead uh female, lead female as she goes on her journey through her sexual awakening even if it is sort of the more uh, most untraditional of uh of um sort of sexual yeah
1: i think he's an important director he's just not one that that i've, I've fallen in love with although bizarrely He's been in a lot. He has. He's. He's also got a really strong career as an actor. I mean, he acts in most of his films. I think certainly um, the ones that I've just mentioned, and he turns up in Mika films. And he was in Shin Godzilla <coughs> a couple of years ago, or four years ago, frighteningly, and something else I'm going to talk about later. So he's a. Uh, He's a familiar face in front and behind the camera as part of Japanese cinema, and and I guess he's the uh, he's still a bit of the enfant terrible to to is isn't he of of Japanese cinema?
0: In many ways, yes, he is. But I mean, of of the so directors like him and Miki, and are um, any of them really? as out there as they were at sort of the early stages of their career I mean certainly when we look at there's other directors like Sion Sono who we would sort of argue picked up the Mike sort of outlaw mantle and even he seems to be sort of making more sort of more mainstream sort of accessible films of recent years so it's kind of hard to say who is still out there mm-hmm. um, as that infant terribler without obviously just overworking it like a uh, like Eli Roth does, where it's sort of like, "Oh, look at me! Aren't I weird and freaky and stuff?" And it's like, no, you're just not. You you, you it's like you can't make, set out to make a movie like *Pandemic* oh. or *The Room*. You know, you you just make the film and it it finds itself. Um, so all these people out there just saying, just trying to imitate *The Room* and trying to make oh. an intensely bad movie and then wondering why it doesn't work, <laughs> it's the same way you can't just set out to be a be one of these uh people like, you know, Tantino and Mike and you know, p- perhaps arguably like Rob Zombie. Um you can't just sort of set out to say, Oh I'm going to be this you kind of like have to have people tell you whether <laughs> you're this so But um I think like older Oddrect sort of mellows in his leisure years so it's, it'd be interesting to see where he goes. From here, because obviously, fires of plane seem like a very sort of mainstream movie in comparison, and the Bullet Man, it's it's certainly a lot more grounded than we saw in the first two Tetsuo movies, certainly, and uh, obviously he did the killing in two two twenty eighteen, which I've yet to see, so I can't really see what that's going on, but uh, and he also did the voice of Vamp in
1: uh, well, the go. second Metal Gear Solid that's a crossover so. podcast for you. <laughs> So,
0: yeah, so. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to, to say about uh, these films. I would recommend, if you like uh, the films of Tsukamoto, to check out Tomez's book, I Am Anderson where she's a senior to Tsukamoto. And uh, also at the same time, pick up his book on Takashi Miike, Agitator. Um, both books are really essential. Uh, reads in my own collection, and, uh,. I mean, Tom Messi's just r- writes some really good books in Asian cinema. I mean, he's currently done two books for Arrow. He's done one on Lone Wolf and Cub, and uh, he also wrote the book on it, Mikio Kaji who was obviously in Female Prisoner,
1: Scorpion, and Lady Snowblood, and the
0: Absolutely.
1: He's a top guy he's for Asian cinema writing. So, yeah, so
0: hopefully he will uh, continue to give us some new books, and even more, hopefully, we'll get him on uh, future episodes so we can try and get him to show some light <laughs> on what the hell was going on at the end of Tetsuo 2. So, I don't know, it's just weird. He's sort of like he becomes the Iron God and then suddenly he mm. becomes a digger, but of flesh. It was weird. Uh, for viewing, if you do
1: like these films, what would you recommend people All watch? Alright, so I've Is got there, three. Uh, a sort of right. really? I don't know how many you've got, but... Cool. Um, and they, they again, they're, they're a bit like the by, by what I've been watching this week. Some of it's a bit tenuous, but um, if you liked the kind of body horror side of things, but you thought this was a bit indie and a bit Dark, check out Noburu Iguchi's The Machine Girl which is um, from a 2008 sort of action <laughs> flick it it started a whole sub-genre of of of, of rubbery um <laughs> gore type films, um, I'm trying to hard, hard, hard way to say it but <laughs> Whatever you might think of the later films, and I think it is diminishing returns, a lot of them are... What's the word? Shit. The Machine Girl is absolutely <laughs> fantastic and has that kind of gonzo feel that maybe you would, I, I got out of the first film we talked about tonight. Um, basically, a schoolgirl um, gets involved with some... Ninja yakuza's <laughs> and ends up having her arm replaced with a machine gun, <laughs> and it's just it's just a fun romp. Then they went and made lots of other films like this. In fact, I think they still are, and you can go and see Robo Geisha and all sorts of films like that. But but Machine Girl, yeah, Meatball Machine, and um, yeah, but but the Machine Girl, I think, and... absolutely stands up, and it might be a film we come back to in the future um i mentioned before that um sakamoto actually has does quite a lot of acting and one film which i really like and i remember watching a long time ago before i realized it was him in the main acting role is a film by um the creator of duon which is not a series of films i like but i do like um takashi shimitsu's maribito which is a pretty weird sort of horror movie that might actually happen or might happen in someone's head. But Sukamoto is is the lead character. Basically, he finds a woman in the sewers who feeds on blood. Um, but that's only the beginning of the weirdness. Um, and for uh, I, I, I have no interest in the duon grudge films at all i don't, uh, takashi shimitsu is a filmmaker i think i just have no connection with whatsoever but marabito is really interesting and then if you just want something because you like the first film because it was in black and white <laughs> um a completely <laughs> different kind of indie film by a main um Japanese you know modern filmmaker um, which is interested in the events of the now and how they might affect things in the future so it's not this film is not talking about a, a, a world of metal but it's talking about a, a sort of a post-apocalyptic world but in a very different way it's Sion is Sion Sono's The Whispering Star which is sort of filmed in sepia tone and it is the most lo-fi science fiction film you'll ever see um But is absolutely delightful and it will be a nice come down from those films, although has an equally dark message behind it. So um, don't come down too far. So yeah, so Machine Girl, Marabito and the Whispering Star.
0: Because I assume that you guys who loved it are just want more weirdness, um, I'm going to recommend you check out 964 Pinocchio, which is also known as Screens of Blasphemy from 1991. It's another Japanese cyberpunk movie directed by Shozin Fuzuki. And it basically follows a sex slave cyborg who's thrown out by his owner for his failure to maintain an erection and uh, basically taken in by a homeless girl who... Attempts to to uh, t- to teach it to speak and find out to essentially what happened to it. Uh, this was released as a double uh, feature along with uh, Fuki's Rubber Lover, uh, which was uh, put out by our Films. I'm not sure that's still available now, but there's a couple for you to uh, watch there. There's also the rather random but kind of fun uh, Electric Dragon 80,000 <laughs> 80, volts. Um which is kind of like a more louder retread of Tetsuo. Um, who is And it's I think it actually clocked in less it's shorter than Tetsuo. I think it's only about fifty five minutes. But um yeah, that's basically uh, more body morphing randomness for you there. So those would be my too, but yeah, I think Steven you've definitely got the 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 sharper picks I mean if you want to look at you know more classier Cyberpunk it's definitely out there. You can look at things like Akira and Ghost in the Shell uh, Cowboy Bebop and Appleseed. They're all really great uh, Cyberpunk animes, but if you want sort of really grimy stuff, then you know it is out there as you can look at uh, stuff as Steven mentioned already you can look at like Tokyo Go Police and Machine Girl and Pinocchio 964 just it really sends you down a real dark random wormhole and then you can go and hang out with Zoe over at Zobo Shotgun and tell her how you had your mind walked by us. So yeah that brings us to the end of another uh, exciting edition of the Asian Zimmerphone Club. Thank you as always for watching. I hope no one's week. watching. I <laughs> said watching then. Um, if you pay those pay those Patreon dollars to get the, the deluxe version but obviously you're not. You're missing out on seeing us hang out here and. <laughs> bunker as we avoid the chaos out in the world right now just us mountain of G- asian cinema and a pile of snickers what could go wrong um make sure you follow us on uh, social media we're on uh, facebook which is a. Uh, This is one of our main hangouts. We've got some real good crowd over there discussing nation cinema and we post news features as well as reviews and bits and pieces over there. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter which is at AC Film Club. We are also on Instagram and you can also check out our blog which is uh, wordpress.com where we've got our complete archive of episodes as well as uh, other bits of fun writing such as the mixtape steven's tales from the dark side of Asian cinema and the movie vault series, uh, movie vault series from David Brook also uh wherever you happen to be listening to us please do leave us a like and leave us a rating or a review it really helps raise the profile of the show and we do appreciate it and uh certainly if you know anyone who's into Asian cinema or got someone you dislike feel free to spam them and tell your friends um and just uh you know help us get the word out there as we're always looking for other shows to sort of to build the community with, we're also looking out, just looking to get the show spread out there. So you know, let people know we're out here. So we do appreciate uh, our fans who, obviously, uh, constantly leave us such great feedback and uh, things over on the Facebook page. We've had some really fun discussions happening over there, and we've uh, led us to team up with guys you know, such as Blade Licking Thieves and the Asian Simmer, uh Takeout guys as well. So it's really great the community that's slowly building between the shows and sites.
1: But Stephen, uh, well, you actually, this is a suggestion next? from one of our Facebook um, followers. So, I, the, I was a little bit distracted, then, so I was just trying to make sure what I was saying is true. So, we've looked at films from. Japan, obviously, like tonight's film, South Korea. We've it we took us a little while to get there, but we've watched a lot of South Korean yep. films. We've um we've looked at films from Indonesia, we've looked at films from Thailand, we've looked at films um f- and, and we've looked at films from the Chinese speaking world, um, Hong Kong and Taiwan. Do you know what we haven't ever looked at a film from? Mainland China. <laughs> and I was just going back and saying can that actually be true (laughs) now the films of mainland China um so it gets a bit complicated because you know there's the the people have floated around so you know Chinese directors and actors have turned up in Hong Kong cinema have turned up in Taiwanese cinema but um I can't remember who it was but someone had asked us if we'd looked at any of the films by um I think they're known as the fifth generation Chinese directors. And no, we haven't, because we haven't looked at any Chinese films. And in particular, they mentioned the films of uh, Jia Zhang And to be honest with you, modern Chinese cinema, proper modern Chinese cinema, isn't something I've watched an awful lot of. But I do have a DVD sitting in front of me that has been on my watch pile now for apparently seven years um, which is a bit of a shock because I thought I was going <coughs> to say two years, but no, apparently it's been seven years. So I would like us to look at Jia Zhangke's A Touch of Sin. And I have a feeling this might be a bit like our, um, Terrorizers okay. episode, but I'm new to this one as well. So let's, uh, let's, let's give it a go. It's a, a sort of a dark modernist, um, sort of dark modern Chinese, um, story based, ripped from the headlines some stories ripped from the headlines and we'll just see how horrible it is living in China shall we This is one that's actually on my watch list at the minute so I'm
0: excited to uh, to see this but yeah, Chinese drama film from 2013 number related for the Palme at the 2013 Cannes Film Festival with uh, the director winning best screenplay um, also features uh, Zhao Tao who's uh, Jai's wife and long time so yeah
1: well so, I, I, I think I know where it's going to go spoilers <laughs> um, I just I just think it's kind of kind of just kind of weird we've nearly got 50 episodes and we haven't touched on mainland China at all um, so I thought I was I was trying to think of a film mainland China and then I looked at my to watch pile and thought I know you've got that let's do it <laughs> very
0: good um, so yeah that will be on our next episode uh, but until then thank you as always for listening um, Stephen you were recently
1: over on Eastern I was I was moonlighting Eastern
0: Kicks <laughs> podcast
1: <laughs> um, yeah so that episode's come out now um, so they go for a little more of a magazine-y type format so there's a fair bit of me talking about King Who with James and Andrew um but there's some other stuff as well on there other people talking about king Who, other talking about other sorts of news and things like that as a lot of our chat ended up on the cutting room floor which is probably a good thing <laughs> a no good the the, the other two fellas were <laughs> they 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 were drinking quite heavily and i <laughs> think I think some things are best left on the cu- best left on the cutting room floor. Come, cool. uh, but yeah, we'll be uh,
0: back next time to talk about Touch of Sin. Uh, but until next until pleasure then, as, then, always. as always, Thank you to Stephen, and uh, we will be back uh, next time. I said talking about Touch of Sin, but until then, good night. <laughs>
1: 昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ
0: 月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ「
1: 忘れて